You're listening to the Australian Family and Fertility Law Podcast. Here's your host, Stephen Page. Oh, g'day. Uh, it's Stephen Page um, from Page Private again, uh, and we're talking about our series of Australian Family and Fertility Law. And in today's podcast, uh, I have um, the joy of talking to Richard. The joy. And Richard, Richard Westerby. Uh, as you'll quickly discover, is English. And one of the puzzles is an obvious one, which is he's English, but somehow he works for San Diego Fertility Centre, which is evidently based in California. It's nowhere near England. And recently I had the joy of speaking with Richard and Dr. Sai Danishman from San Diego Fertility Centre in uh, the webinar about Australian intended parents going to the US. Welcome, Richard. Thank you. So How tell, you us, tell us why, why someone who would be in England would be uh, working for San Diego Fertility, because it, it, it seems counterintuitive. You're on the other side of the world. It does. But the, the wonderful thing about uh, SDFC or San Diego Fertility Centre is, is we're global. We have clients all over the world because, unfortunately, infertility doesn't just, is not geographically bound should we say it, you know, it transcends sexuality. It goes through countries. It just, it, it doesn't matter if you, if you want to have a family and you can't, you can't. Um, we have a lot of European clients. We have a lot of Australian clients. We have a lot of clients in China. We have clients all over the world. And so therefore from a time zone perspective, obviously it helps having somebody here in Europe because obviously as we're doing at the moment, it's your evening, it's my morning. Um, and that, that works. And obviously my evening is California morning. So it, it just, it just works. Um, and so we have just, it, it's just nice having somebody boots on the ground to be able to help in the same time zone, really. But it's because I, I didn't ask that question very well. The reason that you work there is because mm. you presumably have a passion and an interest in this area. Absolutely. So I've got twins. I've got boy girl twins who are currently, well, they're eight and a half. Um, and I, I live in England. Right? So and my and husband this morning, at, just be, morning your time, just before we talked, you had the joy, as, as every parent does, of getting them to school on time. Yeah. The joy of the school run. The joy of, can you get your uniform on? Have you got your water bottle? Have you finished your work? Brush your teeth. Brush your hair. <laughs> yeah. That, Have you yeah. eaten yet? Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> It's, it's really very, I mean, everyone's like, oh, Did what's you it like? Forget the gay? night in your bag. <laughs> exactly. Well, everyone's like, what's it like being a gay parent? I'm like, you can just drop the gay. It's, I'm a parent. I, it's every parent has the same struggle. Every morning, we're desperately trying to get to school on time. I'm always late and we're always running. And it's always like, just get a move on. Um, so, yeah. But, anyways, I live in London, England um, and we, we went through the process in the US. So, IVF and surrogacy based in the States. Um, at the time I ran my own company, I was in finance and- but Let's just stop there for a second. You weren't, yeah. you weren't in this field at all. No, not at all. I knew nothing about fertility, zero, apart from the fact I wanted to have a family. And even after years of trying, I couldn't get pregnant. So, um, you know, we, we had to go down <laughs> the surrogacy route. Well, well, let's just talk about yeah. that. You know, about the-, about the um, innate desire to have have a family. I, I think it was um, David Attenborough standing beside an albatross who said it, said it best that 
animals will pursue uh, and overcome all types of barriers because this is just uh, within them. And if they can't do it themselves, then they rely on others. And, and um, we as humans do the same. And I, I listened to that. I thought it was so powerful that, in fact, it's ended up in a couple of my court matters um, so oh. that it can inform judges. You know, who's going to argue with David Attenborough? <laughs> but when did, you, when did you know that you wanted to become a father? Probably... Um... Well, they're eight and a half, probably about 10 years ago. So it was, we have a great life, we have a great house, we have great holidays, but there just, it was, there was an innate need to your point of, of something more. I wanted, I wanted something more in my life. And, and, and I felt that we had the love to be able to give to a family. We looked at adoption at the time in this country, in England, it was, it was a lot more difficult than it is now. Um, so that got ruled out. We looked at co-parenting, um, but we didn't actually have anybody that we knew that we could do it with. So that really just led us straight down into the surrogacy route. And, and um, the reality, yeah. isn't it, if you, with adoption, it can be, at least the Australian experience, it can be very difficult. There are no children available. And you don't, yeah. and, and it's not your genetic child. It's, it's not the child who is part of your reproductive journey, although, um, of course, you're helping uh, the care for yeah, this I mean, child. The, the non-genetics for us wasn't an issue um, because I firmly, both of us firmly believe that that to be family, you need love. And it, it for me, it doesn't matter if it's my genetic child or not. Um, and there are many children out there that need adopting in the world. But international, um, international adoption was hard. Adoption in this country was hard. It, it just, it wasn't, it was not an easy route and it was a, a security. So it would probably take us about two to three years, if not longer, to end up with a child who'd probably been in care for two to three years. So that just, it, it didn't, it didn't fit for us. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and so co-parenting has, has, aside from the fact that there wasn't anyone immediately available, it has risks. It has big, big risks that it can go wrong. Mm -hmm. Big time. It can. I we luckily again. So we 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 know a number of people who co-parent and it works well. We also know some people where it hasn't worked so well, and there's the the legal implications around it. We wouldn't necessarily be both of us be parents. It just it. We didn't have anybody either. So it was ruled out pretty quickly anyway. But again. I just, I think the legality around it being recognized as parents, who has the rights and responsibilities. Yeah, I, it didn't but, the, but what you were doing is, is what often happens, which is, well, uh, we've got an end goal in, in mind, which is we want to become parents. Yeah. And what are the options to get there? We know that, well, um, sadly, sex doesn't work. Um, so well, it does, you just can get pregnant. <laughs> oh, there's. Sorry, I forgot that. <laughs> um, but we don't we don't get there, and so we look at what are the other options to become parents. And you were going through um, the list, and mm. it really narrowed down to that of surrogacy, which was something you didn't know anything about. Really didn't. So we had some friends in the states who had done it. Bear in mind, this was ten years ago. When now there's information left, right, and centre, and the problem now is trying to figure out from all the information how to assimilate it in a way that works for you, right? Um, hence my job, in fact. But 10 years ago, there was nothing. It was literally 
I've got a friend who's done it. Okay, follow them. That's what we did. There was no due diligence on the agencies, the lawyers. I'd seen a the doctor that we used who no longer practices, but the doctor that we used was, was, I'd seen him on CNN. I mean, that was, that was how we came about doing this. There was no, there were no fora online. There were no reviews online. There were, there was no, nothing, nothing like that. Um, and so we kind of stumbled into it, which looking back on it now, I wouldn't change anything that we did because it led me on a path to find my passion, to find fulfillment, to be able to help others to navigate in an impartial way. I mean, yeah, I work for a clinic, but at the same time, my role is to give people and educate them, give them the information so that they can make the most informed choice for them. And and that entails literally step by step of the process, walking it through from A to Z, and, and, you know, I wrote a book on it as well. So it, it, which always sounds so, I don't know, pretentious, but. Go on, let's say the book. Yeah. Well, it, so. What's, what's the name? Tell everyone the name of your book. Oh, it's really, it is what it says on the tin. It's Our Journey, One Couple's Guide to U.S. Surrogacy. I mean, it, you can't mistake what it's about. <laughs> I really call it the Dummy's Guide to Surrogacy. Um because I was literally a dummy when we started this, I had no idea what we were doing. And that's why I, I wrote a diary for my children to say what we did, why we did it, so that when they were older, they could read it and start understanding some of the thought processes that we had been through. And I just, I turned it into a book. And now literally, I mean, I, it's it's a bestseller. I mean, it's up there with Dan Brown. No, I wish. It, I probably sell a book a day to somebody somewhere in the world. Um, which is amazing. That's it's extraordinary. Just, yeah, it's 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 enough to buy me my coffee in the morning. That my royalties go on coffee. I literally make I think one pound seventy three or something per book that I sell. It's it's crazy. Amazon take everything, but that's fine because I didn't do it for the money. I did it for the info. But that propelled me into public speaking. That propelled me onto you know talking on stage about our journey, what we did, why we did it, um, and then I came across. Dr. Dangerman, so Saeed, who you have interviewed um, at a conference, and he was like, I think this is, the information you're giving to people is amazing. I would love you to come and work for us. And I said, no, so I don't want to do that. I want to help people impartially. I'm going to end up back in finance. You know, that's what I did. It's, it's, that was what I did. Um, my children were still very little. And about six months later, he's like, come and work with me. I was like, well, okay, I will only come and work for you if I can be impartial. I can, if people don't want to work with your clinic, then they don't want to work with your clinic. He was like, that's why I want you, because I want you to be impartial. And that was seven years ago. Wow. And and, and I was just thinking that, you know, a couple of things that came up from what you were saying. Um, Every surrogacy journey is different. Mm. And and that was driven home to me when when I went. You know, my husband and I went through surrogacy because, you know, I've given advice to countless um, intended parents and I actually counted the numbers recently, which is rather scary. It made me feel very old. Um, but one of the things that, that struck me was there were things that happened in our journey that I, I didn't expect. You know, we had um, a miscarriage. We, we had difficulties with um, our surrogate in terms of medicine. We had difficulties with our... Um, egg donor in terms of medicine they had to be overcome 
then we had um, a miscarriage, then we had an ectopic pregnancy. Um, and then um, at the end of the day, uh, well, not even the end of the day, but when our child was born, she almost died during childbirth. So I've had three children yeah. now, two of whom have almost died during childbirth, which is scary. You just don't expect to get there. Mm. And, and then when we had to go for the um, order um, from the court, because um, in this part of the world, it's, it's um, post-birth process, uh, there was great uncertainty about who would be recognised on the birth certificate in the first place. The law was uncertain. And yeah. at which point I thought, uh, from an academic point of view, it's great having a test case, except when, <laughs> except when it's your own. Exactly. Because it was your own matter. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and I didn't expect after, you know, having done it for so many years, practised in this area so many years, to be in the same boat. But that's the thing. It, it is every... Whilst it's process management to a degree, there's the roller coaster of emotion. Every single person, irrespective of the journey that they're on, is it's going to be different because we react differently to different things. And to your point, there's biology involved. So no matter how amazing the team is, no matter how amazing we we can't, we can't stop stop an ectopic pregnancy, we can't stop a miscarriage, we can't. You know, it's it's that's it's brutal, right? And that, so a lot of our heterosexual couples that, that I talk to have been through inf infertility, right? They are petrified from start to finish that they're not going to get pregnant. They're going to have a miscarriage. They're going to have a stillborn. They're going to have problems, which is totally understandable. And so there's a part of this process that that needs to be managed. And that's where the team around you needs to be gold plated because when it goes right, it goes right. It's fantastic. You're like, la, 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 oh, we've got a baby. It's amazing. But it's when and, it goes Yeah, right. not everyone has a, a, as difficult a surrogacy journey as I had. Not by any No, but it's when it goes don't. wrong. Thank yeah, you. it's when it goes wrong that the team around you steps up. Yeah. Because that's when it's like, okay, what, what has happened? How do we solve this? How do we fix this? How do we get you over this hurdle? How do we move you through to the next stage? Because there's an emotional level that you need to get through and then there's the physical level as well um and that from from what you and i live you know we do this day in day out and then all of a sudden to your point you're in it and you're like that's not expected <laughs> what, well, what? i remember what i was thinking of i, I think uh, when that when the miscarriage happened i thought oh well there's a kick in the guts and mm. uh, this is this is terrible um but what do we do well uh, the doctor said well um, 90 odd percent of the time it's it's uh, not the surrogate uh, surrogate of course said well I feel like I've let everyone down that's the common reaction yeah. it's the genetic material and you go yes the next embryo might be a dud too yeah and well, that's let's, it, let's go onwards and upwards right but I was actually having this conversation yesterday with an agency where we've had a client who's had two miscarriages at 15 weeks and so whilst there's an emotional toll on us as the intended parents, the surrogate feels like she's let everybody down. So there's an Absolutely. emotional toll for her. But there's also a massive financial implication because you've already had, in their case, they've had 30 weeks worth of payments to the surrogates. They've had two frozen embryo transfers. They've had legal. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a kick in the guts on every level oh every level yeah and the doctor brutal. you know 
I, I remember the doctor saying, well, you know, all, all that advice. And they said, Let, let's give it a go again. And, and so you give it a go again. And then you stand out the front of, front of the counter at the, at, the, uh, at the clinic. And they'll say, I remember that the lovely woman on the other side of the counter said, oh, that's, that's $3,000, thanks. And you immediately okay. think, oh, you know, yeah. you shrivel up inside and you think, have I got that on my credit card? Yeah, I hope yeah. I've yes. Oh, it didn't. It didn't. It didn't bounce. It's great to know. I know. Well, yeah, exactly. And it's and that's at the end of the day, this is business, right, across the board. And I think one of the things that a lot of people that I talk to understand it's for profit, but you can be for profit, and you can also not have your eyes ripped out. And I think a lot of people want to know that the team around them are open, honest, and transparent about the fees, how it works, what needs to be paid and when. Absolutely. Because that is, that's key, right? You can start this process with some people and know to the penny what you're spending. And then you can start it with others and it just keeps on going. And you're like, wow, that's an unexpected bill of X or Y or Z. And yeah, so piece of advice, make sure you understand exactly what payments need to be made and when. One of the things you said before was um, with heterosexual couples that sometimes they've been through an mm. extraordinary um, level of pain ahead yeah. of time. And um, I don't know whether you know, but I've, I've been there, done that, um, having suffered infertility myself. Um, but certainly what I've seen sometimes has been uh, couples micromanaging surrogates. Mm -hmm. And and I haven't seen that anywhere near as common amongst gay couples because, of course, this is option A. This is the only option, isn't it? Um, Well, I I might have micromanaged. So Angela, who's our surrogate, is an amazing human being and we're still in touch and she's, she's part of our family and always will be. And I remember our obstetrician gynecologist, who is a friend of ours, emailing me and saying, Richard, she's been pregnant before. You need to stop. So, so, so there can be the odd homosexual who can micromanage. Um, but yeah, it is. It's you are. This is your everything. It's the, the resilience of the human being is, is an amazing thing. And I've seen so many people who have been through hell and yet pick themselves up and just keep going. Um, it's, I was talking to a, a lady last week who actually has PTSD from the amount of times that she's had internal examinations by Dr. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, right? Mm, it, that, doesn't, that doesn't surprise me. I think, yeah. you know, I think the highest number I've heard of IVF cycles let it before a pregnancy in Australia was 38. And I thought, uh, here is this couple who have endured the roller coaster of hope and then crashing down the other side. And to do that 38 times, they must have just been roadkill. Yeah. I just, I just can't imagine what damage there would have been to their relationship, to their sense of self-esteem and why there yeah. wasn't some discussion about, um, and, and there may have been, I don't know, but, but you know, 38 times would say to me, there hadn't been adequate discussion about alternatives such as egg donation and surrogacy. 
Correct. And, and a lot of, we place a lot of emphasis on mental health. And so anybody who's going through our process must talk to a psychologist about support, how the process is working, what they need to do, what they need to think, impact on the relationship. I mean, we, there's a massive emphasis on that because to us, it's not only physical health, it's mental health as well and emotional health. But we, I mean, we've got five doctors at the clinic and I always remember one of them, Dr. Friedman sitting and talking to me, we'd just finished a conversation where a couple had had a seven-year-old die from a brain tumor and they wanted to go through IVF. I mean, she and I at this time both had seven-year-olds. We were both in tears, obviously not during the conversation with the, the intended parents because you need to help them through it, right? But the minute that conversation was over, we were like, this could be us. And we literally, we were, it, we were bawling for one, basically. And she said that the, the, these intended parents now need to grieve. And they also need to grieve for the child that they had and the, the child that they're not going to have. And that really struck me because a lot of people, you know, in a heteronormative world, going to get married, like my daughter in the car today, she, we, we started talking about periods because she's now eight and it's going to happen and, 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 I, and, and she was like, well, what, what does it mean? And, how, and I was like, well, it's, it's a way that we know that you can start to get pregnant. And all of a sudden, my head, I was like, wow, all of a sudden I'm planting in her mind that she's going to get older. She's going to have a baby. It was like, when, why is that at age eight something that we need to be talking about? Then we do anyway. But, what, you know, you were saying before time? about the intent to become a parent that you realized about 10 years mm. ago or so. I knew when I was about four or five, it was right. just part, part of me. And it's part of you, exactly. And part you of me. I, I knew forever. And it wasn't because my parents said, you know, thou shalt go out and have a child and we'll become grandparents and give the child back. Right. Uh, none of that. It was just, I knew that was me. It was just intrinsic. Yeah. And so you get to 28, 30, 32, 35, whenever, and you struggle, you've got to work through that grief that you're never going to have the child that you've grown up thinking you're going to have and how do you do it? and it, it happens a lot with egg donation when when a woman for whatever reason can't use her own eggs there's a massive process to go through to get to the point of okay i can go down the egg donor route and and that that and dr freeman said you know the grief of the child you know, she's not going to have it was it really impactful and i think that again comes into that whole mental health aspect of it you know we deal with infertility day in day out and it's very easy just to forget the human element of this and and to understand that that's huge so you were saying before that um, compared to when uh, you went through your surrogacy journey when there was virtually no one no information now there is a a plethora of information. There is so much information. It's information overload. Uh, Rich Vaughan, who I interviewed um, recently in this podcast, said there were hundreds of US surrogacy agencies. And, and what that's said to me reminded me of the old um, statement, apparently, that uh, if you have a box of chocolates in front of you and you've got a dozen, it's easy to choose, but you start putting ramping those numbers up. How is it possible to choose? So what are your words of wisdom? If someone's starting out on a journey today, what, what should they be looking out for? So, I mean, you've got a really valid point. Surrogacy, 
and, and there's a move to try to self-regulate within the surrogacy agency world. And it's happening now. And I've seen it. Um, a friend of mine, Jennifer's pushing that forward. Surrogacy agencies are unregulated. Clinics are, lawyers are, but agencies aren't. And so anybody could, I could start an agency tomorrow. I'm never going to, it's, it's not on the cards, but I could. If you start started an agency tomorrow, that would only add to your woes at about uh, 8 a.m. <laughs> uh, each I'm weekday, like, I suspect. I, I, I struggle to find time to do everything I need to do anyway. But, but to your point of, I think there are, there are agencies and there are agencies. There are big agencies, there are small agencies. The larger agencies typically have been around for a long time. They have experience. So if you are looking at international surrogacy, for example, you've got an Australian tender parent who's looking at doing this in the United States, you really want a team around you who know what, who've been through it. They know what's what, they know the legal process. So they can sit there and go, okay, well, we're not Australian lawyers, but we understand the parental order process. We understand that you need to go through this. You need to talk to a lawyer in Australia. You need, and in fact, here you go, talk to Stephen, because it's not just that, oh, great, let's have a baby. There are implications on everything that you do. And so I would always recommend that you, first of all, talk to anybody you know who's been through surrogacy, get that firsthand information. Who did they use? Why did they use? What did they like? What they did not like? Start doing your due diligence once you've got a list of names. Do you want a big agency or a small agency? Do you want, so for example, some of the smaller agencies, they will go to every single appointment with the surrogates. So they are your eyes and ears. Medically speaking, although they're not doctors, they will be there because they do it. The bigger agencies, do they do that? Not necessarily, but they will do home checks. They will do background checks. They will do, they will do a much bigger support network. Maybe these are questions you need to ask those agencies. It's to your point, it's a it's a minefield. Um, but talk to the lawyers, talk to the doctors. Who do they recommend and why? And then start narrowing that down. And then call me ultimately, and I can help. I know pretty much most of the people in the industry, so I'm happy to chat. Thank you, Richard, uh, uh, for talking to me. Uh, your morning, my, my evening. Uh, this is Stephen Page with the Australian Family and Fertility Law Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate reaching out to Stephen at pageproven.com.au.